Okay, so last week uh, we, we looked at the issue of the lostness of people. We're going to come back to that very briefly. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do a quick PowerPoint review. So this stuff, some of this, most of the stuff you might even have filled in in your bulletin already. But we were talking about uh, issues that relate to the lostness of people. We talked about some changes, uh, how things have changed in in our world, in our culture, the decline in in uh, adults who t- attend church. You know that's been going on for a long while. Uh, we talked uh, about seven of them, but I won't rehearse all those. But the one that I thought was, to me, was most interesting was that too many churched people believe and behave identically to their unchurched counterparts. And uh, that's tragic commentary, but sometimes true, that there isn't a discernible difference between the Christian and non-Christian in terms of their values. Uh, That's tragic. But it ought ought not to be the case, but sometimes that that can, in fact, be the case. We talked about the danger of being having a, a kind of a status quo kind of approach uh, rather than a missional approach. If we, just, if, we don't, if we don't make the shift, we're going to die. If City Light Church doesn't make the shift in terms of becoming very intentionally missional, then uh, in X number of years, you'll be sitting around staring at a fewer number of people because we're not focusing out. We're not keeping the outward goal and instead of just trying to a survival kind of mentality. We talked about basic needs that we all have. Transcendence, significance, community are those three uh, that I think are, are generally true. We're looking for someone, something bigger than ourselves. We're looking for a, a sense of why am I here? What is my purpose? What, what's life all about? And those kinds of questions, and then the place of community. Community is important. That's the body of Christ for those who are naming the name of Christ and the support group that that is there. If if you're, if people can be in all kinds of community. They can be in, in, a, in a community in terms of uh, a bunch of uh, druggies. Uh, those your those your buds. You just you just hang out with and and you know just have a great time and and chemically live. But they're not going to be of much help to you because you're all in the same boat. You know, they're both, you're all in a ditch. So you got to get out of that in terms of finding a place where you can, where you can give and receive. Both directions being part of that. We talked about some choices that we need to make and that sometimes people in North America will not be in church for a variety of reasons. They view the church as irrelevant. They've never been invited. The mistaken notion that churches care more about their money than about the people. And they've said yes to Jesus, but no to the church. We talked about people who are church damaged. So those are all kind of pieces. We didn't really get to the last part, which were challenges that we would face. Um, And and they can be practical steps in terms of what we need to do uh, to step up. Um, That can be as simple as but not unimportant, as simple as um, praying in community together. You you have an event here on Wednesday night, an opportunity to gather together to pray. Sometimes you might pray for people that are on your 
most wanted list. Sometimes you pray for people that you've had connection with, people that you, th- you think are beginning to open their hearts a bit more to the gospel. Uh, sometimes people can join a new group or, or hang uh, or, or begin to cultivate a new area of interest uh, so that that can help them uh, grow more. Um, one of the things that a church always has to be careful of is that it doesn't become uh, you lose you lose um, uh, you lose perspective of um, you, you develop church eyes. You don't see things from a non-church perspective, so that when people come in, uh, you know they look and to see something, and, and you've been around it so long, you just have ignored it. You look past it, uh, and it can be things that relate to the service of the church. It can be things that relate to the condition of the church. Uh, you may tolerate something. But somebody else new to the church may find that, why don't they do something about that? You know, and so we, we don't always have those, uh, those eyes so that we become guest friendly and uh, welcoming uh, new, new folks in. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when someone new comes to the church, you have the opportunity to say hello. Sometimes you think, I'll leave that to somebody else. Don't leave it to somebody else. Make yourself a committee of one and just say hello. It's, you know, that's all you need to do, say hello. And, and so you, you want to try to be welcoming and connecting with people around you. Those are the challenges that we will face. Now, what I'd like to do at this point is, is now go to a story in the book of Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible with you, good for you. We're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 8 and the story of Philip and a fellow uh, from the country of Ethiopia. Okay, so here's here we go. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. Um, okay, I'll, I'll give you the story, back story of Philip after we read the scripture. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice, Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? 
and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Um, uh, in, in this particular story, I find several principles. I guess there's my keyword, principles, that are, are appropriate for us to pull that help us in terms of bridge building to people. Um, sometimes we're better at building walls than bridges. Sometimes we, uh, we say things, do things, uh, we take offense to things, and we, we tend to put one more brick between me and somebody else along the way. Instead of a bridge, you build a wall. Now, walls generally aren't going to be helpful in terms of relationship. Um, okay. I have, I have a neighbor who is very curious. He happens, happens his name is George. He's curious, George, all right. Uh, was over working, helping the neighbor behind me, beside George, when, uh, when lo and behold, George popped his head up above the fence that was there and said, hey, how you doing? I said, good. And he was talking, was, the neighbor had had a tree removed, and, he, and George wanted to see how the yard was looking in his neighbor's yard. Okay, so curious George. Although I've never called him Curious George until this point, but that's what I'll call him from here on out. Uh, it, it, it was just just curious. But that fence there kept him from being able to see unless he got up into the carport and looked over to check and make sure everything was okay. Uh, so we, we traded small talk, and then uh, George went back and probably worked on something else then. Okay, sometimes walls... Uh, can can keep us from being able to get into the lives of people. I believe that uh, the Lord wants us to build bridges, not walls, along the way. So in the story here with Philip, uh, I, th I think there are some principles that I think are, are important for us to keep in mind. Keep it in mind that this is all in terms of us building bridges to people who are outside of Christ, who have not yet come to faith in Christ. I know that we still have connection, responsibilities, and opportunities with those who are of the household of faith. I think that that's appropriate. But but if we don't keep some kind of uh, uh, mentality about the importance of the lostness of people, if it's always on the back burner instead of the front burner, we're, we're, going, we're going to suffer from that lack of contact with a real world and people with needs who who can be brought into a place of faith and encounter the living Christ that can make all the difference in the world uh, in terms of the, the, the long haul. So the first principle, I think, is this. We need to be obedient to the promptings of God's Spirit. Be obedient to the prompting of God's Spirit. Verse 26 says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, 
So he started out. It's one thing to hear God's word to you and to me. It's another thing to do something to obey that word. The music we looked at, we heard and sang this morning talked about the primacy of the word of God. And that's a, that's a key piece. We need to be responsive to that word of God. When God says, do it, do it. When I was a young person, I was involved with an organization called Youth for Christ. And each summer, they would have a, a rally down in Ocean City, New Jersey, on the pier down there. And uh, so we would go to these youth rallies. I was involved in the Bible quizzing program. And so we would go and, and do that and stay in these, these they called them flop houses. And I don't think they were really all that bad. But, uh, but they were just kind of like a big dormitory kind of thing. But you could hang there and then and, and, and go. So. so one of those years... Uh, we were down, and there was a there was a musical team, Hal Webb and Theron Babcock. Now I don't remember their names, but that's been a long time ago. But they they were they were singing a song about Jonah, and the song of Jonah went, went something like that. The chorus it went like this: When God tells you what to do, you better do it. You better do it. You better do it. It doesn't pay to disobey, that's all there's to it. Like old Jonah, you'll find out the hard, hard way. Now, that's a, that's probably more of a kid's song than anything else. We had fun with it. But it's one thing for Philip to say to hear the Spirit of God said to him, and then do something about it. It required obedience. Now, Philip, here's the back story. If you back up to Acts chapter 6, you'll find that Philip is among the, the group of people that were pulled in terms of leadership. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 says the proposal that was made about pulling a group of people uh, to care for matters so that the apostles would give themselves to the more important issues. It says the, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. So he is among the group of people who are helping with the nuts and bolts of caring for the needs of people. So he's initially involved there. When you go to the 8th chapter, and this is after the stoning of Stephen, and the church gets into a scattered mode, uh, a dispersion, a diaspora is what they technically call it. On that great day, persecution broke out. As verse 1, uh, against the church, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, Saul began a journey. And verse 4 says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. So he was involved in terms of doing the work of God before. And he goes down and he, he there's some miraculous kinds of things that occur. The crowds heard Philip. They saw, verse 6, the miraculous signs he did. They all paid close attention to what he said. Evil spirits came out with shrieks, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in the city. And then it talks about another guy that's involved, as Simon the sorcerer, and or Simon the magician, and how he gets involved in the story, and 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 I, 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 that's a whole other story. I'll, I'll get to that one at some point in time when I get back around to the eighth chapter eventually, Lord willing. Um, and it's a fascinating story how that all worked. 
But Philip, in this whole process, is simply being obedient to what God asked him to do. So when we have a heart to connect with people who are on the outside looking in, lost people, they may be our immediate family, they may be neighbors, they may be co-workers, whatever they are, we've got to be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit of God. Hopefully, we are in a place where we can hear God's prompting, hear his voice to us. That's a whole nother issue in terms of what it means to hear what's involved in hearing the voice of God. Um, and that's that's a whole nother piece, but, but that's assumed here that uh, he heard that voice of God and prompt. Now, whether it was audible, whether it was prompting within, whatever that may have been for Philip, he obeyed and, and responded from that side. So he was obedient to the promptings of God. Second principle is this. We need to watch for divine appointments. That's a key word for me these days, a divine appointment. Sometimes we can talk about what a coincidence. What a coincidence. But I don't, I'm, I'm past the point of believing in coincidence. For the Christian, there isn't coincidence. There is more likely God incidents where he's been orchestrating some things on our behalf. And suddenly we say, oh, how odd of God. You know, and it, but, but he's been working at that point. We need to watch for divine appointments. So verse 27 says, as we read, so he started out and on his way he met. On his way he met. Now, is this, is this a surprise to God that Philip would obey? No, I don't think so. I think he, he knew his track record. He knew he could trust him. He prompted him. And so Philip says, sure, I'll do that. And he goes and God has orchestrated an event. Um, I want to take a moment and I want to back up to a portion of scripture in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible with you, I need you to turn back to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. And this is the account where Jesus sends out the 70 or the 72, depending on what your translation is. And he appointed these to, to go out and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place. And he gives them some instruction. Among among the pieces of instruction is a phrase that I want to look at for just a moment. He tells them, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals or do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, it will return to you. Uh, if, a, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you. You know, I hate that verse. Because I'm a picky eater. I have thought, man, I, get to, I remember going on an Africa trip in 2007, and we visited a village. This was in Burkina Faso. We visited a village. And they went to great lengths to make us feel welcome, and they fed us. And something was in that pot that we ate, but I still don't know what it was. I'm hoping it was chicken. It tasted like chicken, but I'm not sure. And fortunately, I was the first one to get to eat. So I picked what looked like white meat and thought, I think I can do this. And I ate, so I tamed it, and I passed the pot, and I thought, okay, there God. I sure hope this is 
something that's not lethal or is going to give me dysentery or whatever, you know. Uh, so I, I don't like that verse when it says, eat whatever they give you. And, and if my wife was not aware of that verse, she now has put that to the top of the list to, to, to talk to me at, at meals. Stay in the house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. In that particular verse, uh, it talks about a man of peace. Now, if we were in California, it would have to be a person of peace, like a maintenance hole instead of a manhole. I understand that they're having to rename the great white shark in California. And now it's a, it's a mediocre Caucasian fish, something like that. It's politically correct stuff. So when we talk about a man of peace, we're talking about a person of peace. It doesn't mean man or woman. You deal with that, with that business. But the man of peace is someone, someone that God has been working on causing their heart through whatever circumstances to become ready to receive truth. <coughs> Have you ever run into some of those God-prepared people? They may have come through a horrendous set of circumstances, some challenges, some problems that have come along the way, and and. And God gives you the opportunity to be at just the right place at just the right time because he's been working on that person's heart. One of our goals is to watch for divine appointments. Those people that God is and has prepared for us to simply begin to relate to. Now, it, it doesn't mean that you have to when you meet somebody, you have to hit them with the biggest Bible you've got. That's not quite what we're talking about. We're talking about building relationship. And I realize that for Philip, this his relationship was this this guy that was from from Ethiopia, and he was a steward, a manager, a, you know, the guy that Queen Candace depended upon. He's up to worship, and he's on his way home, and God provided for Philip, that man of peace, the person who was ready to receive the truth. That's why I gave you the list, most wanted list, so you can begin to pray. And let me tell you specifically how to pray. God, you know the people that I'm connecting with, and I'm asking you, Father, to help open the heart of one of those people, some of those people, all of those people, as to, to develop them into that person of peace so that at just the right time, a, a word fitly spoken, Proverbs would talk about, a word that's aptly spoken, will able will be able to give it, and, and I might have the opportunity to help build one further bridge step to that person. We have that opportunity. That's what the man of peace is all about. Uh, the person that God is working on. So the people that you're praying for, family, neighbors, co-workers, whatever, are going through all kinds of experiences in life, some of which are bringing them to the end of themselves, their tragedies, their hard spots, their discouragements. And God brings you across the pathway by divine appointment to connect with them. 
and you find a prepared heart with the truth of God that's resident in you and the love of God that is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit, and you're able to do that divine appointment kind of connecting, be watching for those divine appointments. So here's the divine appointment for, for Philip. He starts out, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians, the man has gone to Jerusalem to worship. Well, isn't that interesting? Philip had something to do with Jerusalem. I gave him a common point from that side. And, and on his way home was sitting in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Well, what a coincidence that he would happen to be looking at a portion of Scripture. Here you've got a Christ follower, Philip, who is familiar with the word, likely, and now he's running into a person who has been a man of peace prepared by God in that divine appointment. And so the Spirit of God prompts him again, verse 29, go to that chariot, stay near it. And Philip runs up to the chariot. Here's the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And that leads me to the next principle. Principle number three is ask appropriate questions. Ask appropriate questions. Now, the most natural question that would be asked, it seems, is right there. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? You're, you're involved in, in connecting with people, and when you're wanting to try to build bridges into their world, you need to listen. You need to listen to what the story is, what are the things that are going on in their world, and then find the appropriate questions to express to them. So, so they can be as simple as, how are you doing? What's gone on in your world this week? It's just open-ended questions where you give the person an opportunity to listen. Now, now when they begin to talk with you, don't start thinking about, oh, let's see, I got, I've got to go to Romans 3.23 and then Romans 6.23 and then Romans 5.8 and Romans 10.9. And, and you start thinking about what you got to do to do the dump on them. That's not what you, it's about building, build bridges, relationship. You need to win the right to be heard in terms of building that bridge and relationship. But you need to ask the appropriate questions. Many times those are simple questions. Those are leading questions just to try to get a better idea of where they're at. And if, in fact, that's a part of the divine appointment God has for you as a prepared servant to go to them or connect with them as a prepared listener, prepared heart, in order for that truth of God to be able to be declared, ask appropriate questions. That leads to the next principle, which is, Focus on the word. I, I appreciate so much the music this morning. It was, was very much word-focused. It, it, it's the word of God that lasts. And it's not, it's not so much, here's my experience. It's the scripture says, but you've got to win the right to be able to speak that truth into it. But when you do that, it's, it's almost like asking permission to, to, to go just a little bit further, a little bit deeper with someone. Um, it, it can be something like, I discovered something about life when I, when, I, when I was struggling with the same issue, when people were struggling with the issue. I found help in 
this truth from God's word. And maybe you'll just be able to say that, whatever that truth was, whatever that word was, that is of help for a person. Maybe they're going through the loss of a family member. And, and there may be appropriate scripture that, that ministered to you uh, that might be of help to them. And you simply say, God's word spoke to me in this situation at this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Um, and, and you let the word of God speak to that. Sometimes we have a tendency to try to develop a commentary mentality where we want to expound all the deep truths of God. It's like the, like the child that came home from school and said, Mommy, what is sex? And so mom said, well, uh, she thought about it, and then she went into this long explanation of what was involved in birds and bees and biology and all that kind of stuff. And after, after 10 minutes of expounding and pontificating on what is sex, she asked the child, why do you ask? She said, well, there was a box that I had to check at school. It said sex. And I just checked the box. All, all, all they needed to know was just which box to check. But they got the whole load because they weren't listening to the question. And so I, that's a key piece there in terms of letting the simplicity of the word do the work. Philip began, verse eight, verse, chapter 8, verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, you want to challenge. We, live, uh, we obviously live in the church age. New Testament is part of the book that we work with. But if you had, if you had to demonstrate to someone truth about Christ when you only had the Old Testament, where would you go? What portions of Scripture would you hunt up? Would you be able to find this portion that's talked about in verse 32 and following when he pulls from Isaiah 53? Are you familiar enough with it? Are you familiar with some of the prophecies relating to the person of Christ and the coming of Christ that you could share that with if you only had, if you had one arm tied behind your back and you only had the Old Testament, could you do that? That's an interesting challenge. Think about that one in terms of how those prophecies are fulfilled. Focus on the word. Now, here's what I'd like to do this morning. It's one thing to have a, a sheet of paper that says, here's my list. It's another thing to be using that. I want us to take a moment, and uh, if you have that list with you, I, I want you to look at your list. You pull it out. If you have it, if, 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 it, if it's still empty, that's okay. I, I hope you can get to a point where you need to fill some things in. But I want to just suggest some things here. If we believe that lost people matter to God and he wants them found, if we believe that prayer is the primary work of the people of God, and if we believe that praying for people, bringing them before the Father, is, is at least one step in terms of the preparation of their heart so that God can capture their attention through a number of life experiences where they begin to ask questions about transcendence, significance, or community, basic need. 
If we believe that, then there ought to begin to filter some people. If, if, your, if your sheet is blank and, and you haven't gotten to that point yet, uh, let me just ask you to do this. In your mind's eye, in your mind's eye right now, identify some of the people that are in your, uh, here's a good Greek word, that are in your oikos, that are in your household, that are in your group, that are in your sphere of influence. Identify them, and then uh, I want you to come up with a name, a couple names, maybe two or three names, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I, in your mind, your heart, identify a couple people, okay? Now, when you got a couple people, look at me. Now, I, I don't want you looking down at the floor. I mean, look at me. When you've got a couple people that God's... Right now, bringing to your heart and mind, I want you to look at me. Okay? Now, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I want you to right now pause for prayer. And now you can look down. You can look wherever you want. I want you to pray for a few moments just over those people. Not out loud. Just. But just pray over them. Now, if you're wondering, now, how, how should I pray for them? How, how should I, those people that God has brought to your mind, how should I pray for them? Remember that on the other side of that most wanted list are some suggestions. So you might pray, for instance, that God would begin to touch people by the Holy Spirit and that we might have a sense of expectation that he will work. Perhaps there will be some Opportunity to trust God for a shepherding spirit to disciple and care for those people, whether even as new converts. Um, on that, how to pray for the lost sheet might give us some direction in terms of praying for them. Now, we've done this kind of jump around from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 8 for a reason, because of the core value of uh, lost people matter to God, he wants them found. If I was doing a transitional pastoral ministry, I would hit on those core values. I've gotten to two of them so far. So there's some more to come. I'll work them in one way or another. But this piece is an important one in terms of praying for those that God brings into your sphere of influence and trusting him that he will use perhaps you, but perhaps he's got somebody else that he's going to use to bring truth to them when they come to the place where they're that person of peace that's been a God-prepared heart, and then he will bring someone to bring truth to them. He may use you, but be watching for divine appointments as you walk into this week. I don't know what your week is going to be filled with. I know mine's going to be filled with grandkids. 
And, and uh, so th that's a part of my journey for this week ahead. But, but even at that point, you know, I can, I can say, okay, now uh, three grandkids are going to be watching. have all made professions of faith. They've all been baptized. And so they're, they're making a good journey. But, you know, there are other concerns that I would have for any grandkids, whether my next-door neighbor grandkids or these grandkids that are coming from the Poconos to visit for a few days. Just uh, I'm looking, I'll be watching for divine appointments where things come into a wonderful frame of alignment where he can speak into their hearts and ask appropriate questions that will lead them to an encounter with the Christ, with the word, with the truth, that will result in them following after him so that they will go on their way rejoicing and not... Oh, we had to go to grandma and grandpa's this week. But like, it can be something that they can come away with a positive look on that part. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this next Sunday when we gather together, you were able to say, you were able to report in an update, I intentionally came to look for divine appointments. Here's what God provided for me. He brought me to my neighbor. He brought me to a family member, and I was able to be of encouragement to them. I was able to help them with a particular project. I was able to pray with them on a particular need. I was able to just simply love on them. The whole issue of trying to reach the lost is witnessing the power of God without expecting any, without demanding any result. In other words, you just love on people, just serve them, and let God take care of the result as we are salt and light to those that God has prepared, and he uses us as prepared people. So build bridges. May have some good bridge-building opportunities this week. I don't know where it is that you'll do that. It may be, it may be in Wilkes-Barre. It may be in Darien Lake. I don't know. Pick a place, but find a place where God can use you and let him use you for his greater glory. Will you join me as we pause for prayer? So, Father, um, we are privileged people because we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of of your dear son, we move from darkness to light. We once were lost, but now we've been found. Help us to always remember that there are still people around us that we might meet even from day to day who are looking for answers to life. And help us to watch for those appointments. Help us to be obedient to your promptings. Help us to be focused on the word. And we'll thank you for the end result, which is people being moved into the kingdom of God. If you use someone in this place, great, but we're part of the process. Use us to the extent that you long for us to be used. And for what you'll do, we'll thank you and give you praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So have at it. May you have a blessed week where you acknowledge his goodness and greatness. And looks like you got five minutes extra this week. <laughs>
Bless you real good.